Hi, it's Cammy Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening to wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson, and welcome to episode four of the Wakefield <clears throat> Heritage Podcast. I am your co-host today, but now normally I would go straight into introducing my dad at this point. But with this being the first in our newest series, the Trinity Trailblazers, I thought I would give you a little rundown of proceedings. With the research that dad has done, you know, over the past 10 years, we feel it is important to not only remember the not too distant past, but also the far distant past as well, even 80, 90, 100 years ago. Rightfully so, the names of Gareth Ellis, Johnny Thompson, Neil Fox and Derek Turner will forever be in our minds. But have you heard of the likes of Ernest Bennett, a.k.a. Crosland or Herbert Kershaw? Don't worry, as neither had I. The Trinity Trailblazers series will define and highlight the true legends of our club from an era that seems like years ago. But before we do that, Dad, welcome Lee Robinson to the podcast once again. What's been happening in the world of Trinity Heritage this week? Hello. Um, I I love an anniversary and uh, what happened on this day, etc. Uh, and every now and again on our Facebook sites, on our Twitter sites, I, I just have a flashback of what happened on this day 100 years ago, 10 years ago, or whatever. Um, today is the 27th of January, and, and 53 years ago today, 1969, one of my heroes, George Ballantyne, made his Trinity debut. And that's big in our history because he was only 16 years old at the time, 16 years and eight months. Uh, we lost 14-23. It was a Monday night game. Um, at the time, he was the third youngest player in our history and only Richard Goddard has debuted any younger in 1990. And to this day, George is still the youngest debuting forward in our history. So that was 53 years ago today. Uh, just another little uh, bite. Uh, Herbert Kershaw, you might have heard of him, you might not, but we're talking 100 years ago. Uh, he made his debut on this day 116 years ago in 1906 in a 5-0 home win over Wigan. I mentioned him because he was one of our very first Great Britain Lions, our tourists, and he toured Australia in 1910. Um, but we'll be probably talking about him again on another podcast. Super. So I totally agree. For those who aren't aware of Herbert Kershaw, he will be certainly someone we'll be bringing to you in the Trinity Trailblazers series. I love a good debut and it's definitely something we'll be doing more often is on this day. So thank you for that, Dad. Um, have you put anything else out of interest on the Heritage social media sites or the newsletters this past couple of days? Yes, back in the January again, uh, Monday uh, marked the 24-year anniversary of a game against Oldham. Nothing specific, but I just remember it a day back in 1988, January 88, Oldham and Trinity were in the second division, but they were the top two. And we went over to Oldham on a, on a rainy, muddy, mucky Sunday afternoon, live on television cameras. And we actually won 28-10. It was a great game. Um, and the, the, the Oldham, even though they were in the second division, they had players like Terry Flanagan, um, Des Foy, Mike Ford, Paul Round, all great Britain internationals. And we had ourselves back in the day in 88, our team just roughly through it. Kevin Arkham, Gary Haggerty, Steve Halliwell, Andy Mason, Phil Fox, Mark Conway, Nigel Bell, great backline, Keith Rain, Billy Conway, Mark Paul Malinder, Andy Kelly, Ian Douglas, Ian Sheldon. Great David Topless on the bench and Gary Van Bellen. And that was just a flashback. It was just a great memory I had back in uh, back in 1988. So we put that on uh, Facebook on Monday. 
on Tuesday, it was anniversary 53 years ago, Trinity drew Aquith in the Challenge Cup. Now, Aquith is a local team in Wakefield, and that was a big uh, big draw for a little team in Wakefield. Uh, they're still going strong, Aquith. I think they call their Aquith Jaguars. Um, back in 1969, Trinity won 50 points to seven and 6,380 turned up. That was in the days of Keith Slater, Ian Brooke, Matt McLeod, Joe Bonner and that era. And finally, the last thing I put on uh, yesterday was one of our greatest Super League players, David Solomona. He was 44 years old yesterday. Superb stuff. I always feel like Solomon is someone who doesn't age, but 44 is still a very young age and hopefully we can even get him on the podcast sometime in the future. But we're moving on to the Trinity Trailblazers now, Dad. So, you know, the, the question is asked, who is the greatest player to ever play for Wakefield Trinity? We've, we've mentioned some names already. People will automatically go, and rightfully so, to someone like Neil Fox. But 40 years before the big fella came into action, a little maestro um, was around and made his debut who could possibly change that notion as well, wouldn't it? Jonathan Parkin. Um, I love this fella. Never met him. Uh, he passed away when I was about seven. Um, but the research done into him is one of our, not only rugby, Trinity's greatest, but one of rugby league's greatest legends. He's in, the, he's in the Rugby League Hall of Fame. He's in the Trinity Hall of Fame. He played for Trinity for 17 years, between 1913 and 1930. He played 349 games. He could have had many more because the First World War intervened. Um, he had set, he played for Yorkshire 17 times, England 12 times, Great Britain 17 times. He captained all three and also captained Great Britain on tour twice. He's a true, true Trinity legend. Excellent stuff. He was mostly known as Jonty. So let's start from the beginning of Jonty's upbringing. Tell us what you know about his roots. Uh, Jonty was a Charleston boy. He was born on um, uh, Bonfire Night, 1894. Uh, and Charleston is another famous village in our Wakefield district. Uh, that's where he started off playing his uh, junior rugby. It's a village with producers, rugby league legends in every street. Neil Fox, Don Fox, Peter Fox were all brought up in the 1940s there, uh, as well as a Featherson Hull of a halfback called Cal Dula. Uh, those three, that meant that three Lanstod Trophy winners uh, from the village of Charleston um, all won, won the Lanstod Trophy. Neil Fox, 62, Dula, 67, Don Fox, 68. Uh, and the village also provided four of the first 16 inductees into our Trinity Hall of Fame. Um, Don Fox, Neil Fox, John T. Parkin and Herbert Goodfellow himself. All uh, good Charleston people and Charleston Rovers are still going strong to this day. Do we know much about John T.'s pre-Trinity rugby life? Um, he, he, was a, he started in, he, he, he was a world-class uh, scrum half when he uh, got going, but he started off in the forwards. Um, even though he's a little skinny kid, he started off with the forwards at a team called North Featherstone. Um, and he signed for Wakefield. They played in the Wakefield District Intermediate League, which were under 19s, we believe. Signed for Trinity in 1913 for £5 as a skinny little 18-year-old. Now, we're talking 1913 here, like you just mentioned, almost, um, well, it's well over 100 years ago now, obviously, 109 years ago. Paint a picture of what England was like in 1913, and especially a fee of five quid. Five pound is it? There's there's a famous um, saying that five pound doesn't buy a lot these days. But back in the day, about Johnny Parkin, enough said. That was about in, in the equivalent of today's terms. It's about six hundred and fifteen pound. Uh, back in nineteen thirteen, um, it was pre World War One days. Uh, a fella called King George V was on the throne, and a fella called Asquith was prime minister. There were industrial strikes all over England. Uh, the Titanic had sunk a year before. So we're talking a long time ago. Uh, the coal mining industry was massive in the country. 
And in Wakefield alone, there was at Wakefield alone, we employ, we had 30 working coal mines in the district. In Wakefield itself, uh, we all had trams, there were no cars back in the day. Um, the Trafford Stafford Arms was the most famous pub in town, and that's still going now. If you stand in the bull ring and look up, look down Westgate, your Stafford Arms is still on the right hand side. That was popular back in 1913, and trams came and went and dropped people off outside that pub. Uh, there's also the Brunswick Arms and the Griffin Hotel. They were big in 1913. They're still there today. Um, the average age um, wage was £70 a year for a 55-hour work, working week, and your house might have cost 250 quid. All boring stuff, but that was what, what it was like in 1913 in Wakefield. No television no. or radio either. So now that Johnson was a Wakefield player and a half-back at that, he had some real competition in front of him with a bloke called Tommy Newbold. Yes, 1913, we, we, it was just after, one of our greatest eras was back in 19, the, the early 1900s, 1909, we won the Challenge Cup and we had some legendary players we'll talk about later on. Tommy Newball was our um, halfback, um, scrum half standoff. Um, and, so, and he was, by 1913, he'd already played 300 games, he was winding down his career, but he had the shirt, so it was going to be a trouble for Johnny Barkin to take over. A little bit like some 18-year-old challenge, uh, challenging Harold Poynton or David Topless for their standoff shirt uh, back in their day. 1913-14 was Johnny's first full season. How did he and the team manage that year? Um, he, he made his debut. It was it was virtually the last match of the season, April 1913. Um, Bradford Northern were the opposition. Um, and he, he was up against a, an international scrum half himself at Bradford, a fellow called George Marsden. And Trinity won 7-6. So it was a great, it's a great debut for him and a great end of the season. New ball's form, um, it was still good. So it took him another five years to, uh, five, another five months to get back in the first team. Uh, and in 1913-14, John T played 17 games because there were a few injuries and he played he, back into the season and he, uh, he gained a, a regular place. That coincided with Trinity's second uh, Challenge Cup final and John T played in the final long before Wembley. And the longer uh, they played in the, uh, played Hull in the Challenge Cup final. They beat Swinton 2-0, they beat Leeds 9-8 and beat Wigan 9-6 on the way to the final. And then it was um, Broughton Rangers in the semi-final. Um, we had a 3-3 draw at Rochdale and beat them 5-0 a few days later. Johnty was in and out because he wasn't a regular, he was still only 18. But the cup final, injuries came about and there he was. And to this day, he's still the youngest ever Trinity player to play in the cup final. But we lost 6-0 to Hull on the day. Well, I did not know that. Um, for anybody out there unaware, obviously the world outside of rugby league in this time period in 1914 was very tumultuous as the Great War struck. How did that affect John T in his, in his playing? Well, first of all, in the World War, a lot of rugby league shut down, including Trinity. So after the 1914 season, virtually four years, we, we lost four years to rugby league. A few teams kept going. Um, there were friendly competitions and unofficial championships. Um, so he hung around at Trinity for a while, but when they shut down, he moved to Dewsbury, as, it, as did a lot of Trinity players. Dewsbury kept going, and they actually won the unofficial championship in 1916 and 17, and Jonty played all the way through that era. Played about 90 games for Dewsbury in that time. Trinity every now and again had a friendly, and they uh, brought him in, but they didn't last too long. Um, but there were also international matches back in these days as well. He, he represented, even though, again, he, wasn't, he hadn't turned 20. We played for Yorkshire against a West Riding team and against a New Zealand Army team at Leeds. So they were the first sort of um, 
representative honours for John T before he'd, he'd turned 20. And he actually scored for a play for Jewsbury. He actually scored seven tries in a game against Huntley, which uh, was good back in the day. <clears throat> Big chunk of his career, obviously, has gone out there four years. But as the Great War came to an end, did, did John T's return to Wakefield? He came back, yeah, but he was on strike as soon as he came back. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but there was a pay dispute. Um, and he missed the first three games of the season. Now, the, the, the season was a shortened version anyway, because we missed the first few months. So I, I, he didn't start until January 1919 and finished in May. Um, but uh, the Yorkshire Cup got going. So once he sorted his problems out, he came back. First match back, we played Bradford in the Yorkshire Cup and he scored a hat-trick and, and off he went. Now, like I mentioned, there's a big chunk of his career missing out there. He's missed four, basically four or five years' worth of development, but his playing style seemed to have improved dramatically, as was reported, wasn't it? Yeah, it developed into a crafty scrum half. The research I found, there's not, there's not obviously there's not too many television um, videos of, of him, but what you picked up, his style of play was a, craft, a crafty scrum half around the scrum base. He was a strategist. He could he could work his, out his opposition easily. It didn't take him long to work out the strengths and weaknesses of the opposition he was playing against. He had a great set of hands, put his backs away for many tries. Um, he was a blindside genius. That's one thing I have picked up, that um, he was great down the blindside. Clubs missed it and, and didn't realise what he was doing, but he'd take the ball around the blind side, score many tries himself or put his winger in as well. Um, and he said, um, a lot of his teammates, they just thought he was a genius, but even, even in 1920, <clears throat> and they often called upon him at certain times and they used to have this, this call called, come on, John, teach your time. And he could score at will. Even back in those days, he was, uh, he was a bit of a, a genius magician. He got his first official honours around this time as well, didn't he? He did. Uh, I think he got, he got um, around about 1920. He, he, he was, what we're we talking, 24, 20, even less, 20, in his early 20s. He, he got picked for Great Britain already. Um, he, uh, he, he got picked for Yorkshire, sorry, Yorkshire first. Um, and then the, the trials back in the uh, day for Great Britain tours, he had some trials and he got picked for the first trial, second trial, got through both trials and actually got selected for the 1920 Great Britain tour. And then they went down under, didn't they? Uh, in, in playing in front of the SCG, 67,000 people. <clears throat> yeah, there were some phenomenal crowds back then. The, the average attendance at Trinity back in the early 20s was between five and 10,000, depending, depending on who cared. You get 5,000 for a Bramley, a Jewsbury or a, a Batley playing. Um, we, we got 20-odd thousand for a Challenge Cup game with Huddersfield back in 20, uh, 1920. But when he went on tour, his first game for Great Britain was against the Sydney side at the SCG, Sydney Cricket Ground, and 67,850-odd turned up. Uh, that must have been um, one hell of a day for a 25-year-old Shelston minor. <laughs> it's crazy to imagine a Wakefield-born and bred halfback starting in a Test Series in Australia. Am I right in saying that they travelled over to New Zealand as well? Yes, there were long tours back in those days. Uh, but I think the hard ground suited John T. He was still a, 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 a young whippersnapper and uh, very fast and very agile. And when he went, obviously, playing on the, the tough, muddy, dirty grounds over here, he was, he was good. Give him a hard ground over there in Australia, and he was a world beater. So he wasn't actually going over there as a test player. It was in the sort of midweek team. But his form was that good in the early, early matches. He got picked for the first test at uh, Brisbane. Having said that, he got battered. We lost 4-8 to the Australians and the forwards battered us. Um, but then he came back for the third. He was, I think he was injured for the second test. Uh, he was back for the third test. And that was where he found his test feet. 
It really sort of dictated play. The weather was a lovely day and we beat Australia 23-13 and won the Ashes. Yes, we went on to New Zealand and he actually scored a hat-trick in the first test. The only Trinity player to ever score an international hat-trick to this day. Uh, and he was outstanding. Again, totally dominated the game uh, as well as the next two tests and Great Britain won the, the series 3-0 and he'd really sort of found himself on the test arena by then. And then on his return to Wakefield, even better news for him is, as he was made club captain. Yes, Trinity were looking for um, some stability then. Uh, we hadn't had much stability at all through the war years. We'd had seven different captains in six, seven different captains in six years. Charlie Pollard was the captain of the town, quite famous, uh, full-back, a big goal-kicking goal uh, legend. He gave way and gave the captaincy to John T, and he was captain for the next 10 years. Kind of similar to these days, but not the best season for Wakefield in the league. But John T seemed to struggle with consistent gameplay as well, didn't he? Yeah, even though Jonty was one of the best players in the world at this time, Trinity weren't very good at all. We 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 had it was they were called the barren years of the twenties. So we actually carried it through the twenties, and it's often been seen in history after a very successful tour down under, your form can dip a little bit when you come back. So when he came back for the 1920-21 season, he wasn't as, as sparkling to begin with. He picked up some injuries. Um, and then along with many in, in more further representative honours, he missed a chunk of the season playing for Trinity because he was playing for Yorkshire or Great Britain again. We, we can't not talk about this period in, in, in time without talking about that Challenge Cup crowd against Huddersfield. Yeah, we got some massive crowds back in the day. Uh, the, the, we, back in February 1921, we drew Huddersfield at home. And Huddersfield were our local derby. You know, you can your Castlefords, your Featherstones... Um, Leeds, Batley, Jewsbury, they're all in the Wakefield area, but when Huddersfield came, that was our big local derby. When you draw them in the Challenge Cup in 1921, over 30,000 turned up. Can you imagine 30,000 in Bellevue today? And the press have actually said, I read I, when I was researching that, that, the press said it was a glorious day on this February day. And just before kickoff, you got sharabangs and pedestrians and a continuous stream of vehicles squeezing down Doncaster Road across the Chantry Bridge. And Trinity lost 8-4, but Huddersfield were um, a top side back in this era. Jonty was pretty much in the prime of his career roundabout now. Tell us about his life as kind of a 25, 26-year-old. By the summer of 21, Jonty had established himself as probably Britain's premier halfback. He was up there. He was one of the best in the country. Um, and he would continue for the, for the next decade. Um, at this stage of his career, he was 25 um, he'd left the mining profession and he'd actually gone down the licensing trade and was, I can't remember, he bought a pub or he was just the, the, the he, he ran it. But he actually ran the Griffin Hotel in the Bullring. Uh, that's still there now, where if you can imagine thinking where I am now, where the bus station is, uh, on the way from where you go from the bus station to the Bullring, the pub on the left hand side. I can't remember what it's called now, but back in the day, it, was, it might be still called the Griffin, but he ran that. That was Jonty's pub. And by now, he played over 100 games for Trinity. He was also settling down with his girlfriend, Frankie, who he would uh, marry in a few years' time. So he was settling down into, into, into life. He also achieved something that I doubt many Wakefield players have ever managed. He, he was the captain of Yorkshire, he was the captain of Wakefield, he was the captain of England and the captain of Great Britain all at the same time. Yeah, we've had a few international captains over the years, but the, but the, he was our first international captain. But can you imagine a Trinity player being captain, like you just said, Yorkshire, England, Great Britain? Having said that, Trinity were in the bottom half of the league table as well. So we weren't a great side, yet we had the captain of everything going at the time. Difficult times for us still in 1921 and 1922, but there's a great story from January 1922 against Hull at Bellevue, which I've realised 
is 100 years ago this month. So, you, you know, we, we're just coming to the centenary anniversary of this story as well. Yeah, that's right. I never, th- never thought of that with it being 100 years ago. Uh, this was a, for many years, I used to go to the Wayful Express office and, and research year by year uh, and just look at the different stories. And this one grabbed me because it was uh, 100 years ago this week, it was, it was snowing. It was thick snow and Trinity was due to play a hole. And Trinity cancelled the game because you, you couldn't, it was, it was six inches snow at Bellevue. But there was no communication back in the day. So Hull had already set off on the train. The referee had set off from Halifax. And when they all got to Bellevue, they wanted to play. But by this time, all the Trinity players had gone home. So there was nobody there. So the referee insisted he'd come all the way from Halifax and he wanted to play. And Hull were ready as well. So basically, they had to send out um, messages all over town to try and get the players back. They're sent by uh, trams and buses and door knocking. Jonty was his pub in the Griffin in town and he sort of put posters up and you got all sorts. You had signs on front of trams and saying the game is on. There was only one Trinity player that, had, that didn't come back and I can't remember why, they just couldn't get hold of him. he'd gone off somewhere. But all the Trinity players came back, but then there was a mad rush back to the ground as the, as the fans realised the game was on. But Trinity forgot to open the gates. So basically, they're all stood outside, um, snow, snow, uh, the snow was coming down still um, and they only knew the game was on because they could see the ball being kicked above the above the gates, and they actually knocked the gates down and got in. Uh, so Trinity lost a lot of gate receipts on that day. Uh, it all ended up in a shambles. The game was it was there was two sent off near the end. Trinity lost nine ten, but the referee lost track of time as well and added twelve minutes extra time um, back in the day when you didn't have extra time. And Hull scored the winner in that extra time. So it didn't go down too well. Um, Trinity appealed because they'd lost £200 in gate receipts, which were a lot of money in 1922. Um, and they won the appeal and they had to replay the game and they played it six weeks later and they won 2011. But that's one of the sto- a story for a, a, a book. Superb stuff. I mean, the, the press at that time, you know, journalists, much like today still, were on at Johnson. They were on his back quite a bit around this time period too, weren't they? Yeah, because he was a great player. Um, he, 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 took, he took a lot of hammer. And he did miss a few games through injuries and adding his representative call-ups, there was a headline in the Wakeful Express saying John Tioni plays when he sees fit, which was a little bit unfair. He didn't really, he didn't, um, didn't really, they took short memories that he was still the England and Great Britain captain. But it probably didn't help that Trinity's league position was poor. And in the first four years of John T being captain, we finished 19th, 17th, 13th and 19th in the league table when we had 30 teams. So it wasn't good on the field. On the Trinity front, it was less than impressive in the season after in 1923-24, but a win away at Salford brought an in- another interesting story. Yeah, Trinity's history is littered with stories. Um, similarly, over, over the last 100 years, of beating the best and losing to the worst. Um, last season, we, we go to Warrington and we beat Leeds, but then lose to Halle- uh, Lee. I'm not saying Lee are the worst, but they were bottom of the league at the time. 100 years ago, we did the same thing. So in Jonty's era... Bradford were bottom of the league. They came to Bellevue and we lost 5-8. The week later, we went to Leeds, top of the league, and we won 3-0. So those, that's like that, that's what it was like throughout that season. We also went to Salford one week, and, and two Salford players were sent off for uh, attacking Jonty. The crowd didn't like it, and they attacked the referee with mud as well as he left the field. <laughs> now, in that same time period again, in 1924, there was another tore down under to Australia and New Zealand. Jonty was captain this time and a historic moment for him and Wakefield. 
Yeah, his, his form was that good that he didn't have to go through all the trials this time. Um, it, was, it was just a, a virtually a formality when he was selected. So he was selected at scrum half and, and captain. Um, but then he got he, he got ill. He, he became ill when he was over there. I can't remember if it was glandular fever or something like that. But back in 1924, he used to write letters home to his, to his girlfriend and future wife and also the Wayful Express. So we've had access to the letters and he was stuck in hotel rooms writing letters. And they were virtually in isolation, a bit like we have been now with COVID. But he got out of it and he still led Great Britain to the Ashes and he was outstanding. He played in all three test matches in Australia, but then his illness caught up with him again. And when he got landed in New Zealand, uh, basically they put him in quarantine for two weeks, missed the first two tests, came out, was world-class in the third test and, and uh, came home again. And then he missed the start of the 1924-25 season in the most unusual circumstances by today's standards. Yeah, he was he was stuck on the boat coming home because he'd been in Australia on tour. They were that slow. I think it took three months in those days to come home. So he missed the first month of the season back at Trinity because of that. Incredible that it took three months to, to travel that far. <laughs> I know. Now, you know, we're coming to Johnson's probably key parts at Wakefield as a player. You know, tell us about that infamous Yorkshire Cup run through that season. We say infamous, it's a bit of a shame, really, because John, with John being such a legend and he played for 17 years, he actually only actually won one medal, and it was the 1924 Yorkshire Cup medal. Uh, we started off, we uh, we beat uh, Hull at home, 20 points to eight, and then we went to Keithley and won 6-5. But there's a great story ahead. We drew Leeds away in the semi-final, as we often did back in most days. But there's a great story I researched. There were 27,000 there crammed in on a rainy November afternoon and it was nil-nil at the time. And, and Trinity's full-back Charlie Pollard had a penalty and he went high and wide and the Leeds full-back caught it over the dead ball line. And as you do, you caught it over the dead ball line and you threw it as quick as you could to the man in front of you to take a, take, a, take a quick tap on the 25. Well, as he passed the ball forwards, John T called out, forward pass ref. And the referee panicked, looked around, the referee agreed and gave a scrum in front of the post. Well, there was hell on. Anyway, Trinity won the scrum, Jonty got the ball, went around the blind side, scored on the post. So you can imagine the, the fuss at Headingley at the time in front of 27,000. But we held on. Our centre, Tommy Pickup, got sent off. We were leading 5-0. They got a penalty. They got a drop goal. But we held on to win 5-4. So that was a semi-final score and a, a great story. And finally, some Wakefield silverware for John T. How long was our drought? Yeah, we, we actually played Batley in the um, Yorkshire Cup final. Now, I know Batley in the Yorkshire Cup final today sounds as though ah, that could be okay. But back in 1924, Batley were the champions. And bear in mind, we were 19th in the league. It, it didn't look good for us. But John Chanty turned it on. Um, we actually beat, it was a windy, rainy day at Edinley, and we actually beat um, Batley 9-8. And, and Jonty played the conditions. It was some lovely short kicks, blindside runs again, just frustrating the uh, battle forwards. It was our first cup win for 14 years. And we wouldn't win another one for 21 years up to 1945. So that's why it's quite a legendary cup. It's one of the Yorkshire Cup, similar to our cup in 1992, but we never forget it. 1925 seemed another destructive one for Jonty, especially with um, mad circumstances when you talk about his road traffic accident. Yeah, he was knocked off his motorbike on Leeds Road, just uh, just up the road from here on the way to Leeds and Robin Hood. It was um, Somebody knocked him off his bike and he broke his foot. He didn't really know he broke his foot, but then he started, He got over it and the, the, it was a full court case and you could read about it in the local papers. 
But he would just struggle. He couldn't get going. He played and then he, he pulled up and he played and he pulled up. And for the first two months of the season, he was just in and out and in and out with this uh, with his foot injury. But having said that, once they got going, Trinity did have their best league season under Johnson's leadership and finished eighth. But they're now assisted. They've, they've signed some old Great Britain legends, a fella called Billy Batten, a fella called Johnny Rogers, a fella called Len Higson. Big legends back in the days, back in the uh, mid, um, uh, early century. 1926-27 started with a honeymoon in Belgium for uh, for John C. and Frankie after they'd just got married. But this came to an abrupt end as Trinity had a, a, another abysmal start to the season. Yeah, but I bet, a, I bet a honeymoon in Belgium in 1926 was quite special. I suppose it's like going to the moon now. It's uh, I don't know how easy it was to get to Belgium then. But yes, he got back and we had another poor start to the season. Uh, he was sent off for the only time in his career. It was it was um, I think it was at Bramley. Clear retaliation. Uh, somebody had a go at him. He hit back, and the referee sent Johnty off. So there was hell on sending the Great Britain captain off at Bramley. But there's this general feeling that the forwards were not protecting him, protecting him as as he was needed. It, we just mentioned that we were signing some big signings in the back line, but our forwards weren't. We had very average forwards. We were chopping and changing, and Johnty didn't have a great deal of protection in those mid twenties. Now we actually came up against Huddersfield. They were another class team in, in the Ox Cup final again that season, but it, it didn't go our way. Yeah, we reached the final again, but Huddersfield were big guns back in that day. That You look at the Huddersfield honours um, back in the 1910s and 20s, the dinner half wins many a lot of trophies. So we, we did well to get to the final, but we lost 10-3 in the final. Interestingly, though, our full-back that day was uh, Richard Ward. Um, Richard Ward is Kevin Ward's grandfather. Now, Kevin Ward's of a rugby league legend. Most people know about him playing for Castleford, St. Helens, Manly, Stanley Bourne and Bread. So his granddad played for Trinity in that final. And I've, I've, he's actually shown me his medal from uh, 1926 as well. Excellent stuff. Slightly more positive into the new year. Um, we went on a bit of an unbeaten run and even a bit of a Challenge Cup quest as well. Yeah, Challenge Cup was, was still big in the 20s. It hadn't reached Wembley yet. Uh, but we'd be, we we reached the semi-finals, uh, and Jonty again was magical in this run. He decided to turn it on as he always did, and he fancied a cup run. We beat Wigan Highfield, we beat Halifax, we beat Batley, but then we drew Oldham in the semi-final, and Oldham were a tough side in their late twenties. Uh, it was wet, it was windy, it was a wretched weather, and we lost seven three in the semi-final. So our final had gone. Now, finally, in in nineteen twenty seven twenty eight, it seemed as if Jonty was going to get his chance to finally lead. Trinity to the top of the uh, top of the ladder. Yeah, we're on a roll. One of the best seasons in a long time. 19, December 1927, we were top of the league. And again, John T were flying. And it would built up a, a great side round him. Billy Batten and Johnny Rogers are gone. They were old men by, by this time, so they've moved on. But we had some great players, and we'll probably talk about these in later podcasts, but we had a winger called Ted Bateson, who scored 28 tries. John T's half-back partner was a fellow called Joe Pierce, call him Sandy, brilliant player. Tommy Pickup and Archie Siswick, two characters in the centre. They're all good friends back in the day. So a couple of brothers, Charlie and Ernest Pollard, would both end up being Great Britain tourists in the 30s. They were there, and Stan Smith on the wing. Now, Stan Smith was a young flying teenager, but Leeds came in with a big checkbook, and he ended up going to Leeds and playing for Great Britain. In the forwards, we had Harry Field, Tom Gibson, Bill Horton, Charlie Glossop. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't, but what I'm getting at is the consistency. All these players played more than 30 games in the season, and by Christmas, as I say, we were top of the league. In typical Trinity fashion, the wheels fell off, and between January and the end of the season, we only won five out of the next 17 and ended up being 10th. 
disappointing to even hear when it's over 90 years ago. But consistency in the honours continued for John C. You know, he got another tour down under, this time in New Zealand, at the end of the season. Yeah, how good is that? Three tours. There's not many done it. I think there's a few in more later days. I might be wrong, but John Atkinson from Leeds, Roger Millward, maybe Adrian Morley. I think they've all been three down under three times now. But back in the 20s, it was unheard of. So, again, he was a, a shoe-in. He got selected as captain. He'd still been captain for Yorkshire and England and Great Britain at home. So when the 1928 tour came round, it was an automatic choice. The trouble is it was a disaster because he broke his thumb. He broke his thumb in... Um, a um, tour game against New, New South Wales. He came back for the second test and got it all strapped up and got it all ready. There's an iconic picture of, of him in the mud. Um, and we actually, he actually led Great Britain to an 8-0 win in that test um, in the mud. And we won the Ashes. But he broke his thumb again. He was on, it was a, a daft thing. He'd been in a tackle. I think he went to tackle somebody, fell over and actually stubbed his th thumb in, in the ground and broke it again. So that he broke his thumb twice in five weeks and needed surgery. So that caused him just basically miss the whole of the rest of the tour. So he only actually played five matches on the whole tour, um, despite him being captain, but we still won the Ashes and brought them home. And thus his final season as a Wakefield Trinity player kicked off in August 1929. Tell us about that year. Yeah, just wound down his career, really. It, again, he was um, he felt like he was falling out with the club a little bit now, or finances, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but he's in, uh, injured as well in his final season. He only played 22 games and decided to retire halfway through the ashes of 1929-30. Um, he did finish on uh, on a high. We, we won some great games in April 1930. He was sublime. He was magical again as he was winding down. Um, and his last ever game was against Halifax at Bellevue in April 1930, where he, again, he was brilliant. We won 23-3. His story about leaving the club is, is said to have been about money, but he had some interesting stories about his wages earlier earlier in his career as well. Yeah, many years ago, uh, we, as in Trinity Heritage, got a phone call from um, a fella who'd, who'd found some old Trinity books in an old uh, warehouse that they were knocking down. And they asked the club whether we wanted them. Um, and basically, we, we've still got them. There were basically 10, 12 massive books, manuals, and they were basically the wages and minutes from the uh, meetings from the 1920s. But they had all the wages given from these games in the 1920s and what they got per match. In the early 1920s, everybody got the same money. It was a pound, two pound, three pound a win, depending on uh, who you played. When Billy Batten arrived in 1924, suddenly it was on five pound a win and it stuck out like a sore thumb, one pound, one pound, one pound, five pound, one pound. And it was like, he'd obviously negotiated. He was an ex-Great Britain captain. Um, after 1924, that was when the tour went. So unless John T had been talking to Billy Batten, because as soon as John T started playing in 1924, he was on £6 a man, £6 a win. Now, £6 a win was £300 in today's money. Um, so that was, that was the regular thing. He, 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 again, whoever he played against, he actually got £9 for winning the Yorkshire Cup. So everybody were on £2, £3, £2, £2.50, and he was on £6, £7, £8, £9. A lot of people said, why not? Because he carried Trinity through uh, this era, which continued until 1930, being on a lot more money than everybody else. Now comes the story of how, of how he left Wakefield Trinity in that era as well. Yeah, it's all interlinked to his wages again. Uh, this is the, maybe the first the, the story that everybody knows about John T. Parkin. Before I knew a great deal about Trinity Heritage or Parkin, we'd had heard this story. 
And it basically started again, going back to this, when everybody was on different money. Uh, the committee in 1930 decided to uh, suddenly reduce everybody's money and realign everybody. So everybody was on the same fee. Uh, and John T didn't like that. And he, ref he refused to sign. And the club put him on the transfer list to £100. And they had meetings upon meetings to try and sort it all out. And they couldn't. And in the end, John T went away and brought a cheque back to the club for £100 and gave it to the club and said, right, I've bought myself out of a contact agreement. It virtually paid for his own transfer. Uh, and he became a free agent and walked away. After 17 years, he just walked away from Bellevue as a free agent. Um, the, the rugby league tightened the laws up after that. So you couldn't pay. You couldn't do that again. And you couldn't pay for your own transfer. What do we know about his, his time after leaving Wakefield and kind of wind his, winding down his career? Um, not a lot, really. Um, we, we knew he went to Wilkinson Rovers uh, because after he'd bought his own contract, then there were a few teams looking for him because he was about 35 by now. Um, St. Helens were after him, but Wilkinson Rovers came in for him and offered him £8 a win. So he took that. But he didn't win anything. He played, he, he played for two years at Ulkr uh, and wound down his career at Ulkr. Um, picking up £8 a win whenever um, whenever he played. Uh, one thing I, I, I did realise, one, one I've researched in, after 19 years of playing professional rugby and over 500 games, which include a 50 for his, county, for his country, he decided to hang, hang up his boots at 37. But so many massive buzzwords came out when you research his career. He was a genius. He was an extraordinary player. He was a leader. He was inspirational. He was skillful. Uh, he was a master technician. The list is endless, but in the 20s, he was basically, it looks like he was the greatest of them all. And I think as well that stands out during that time period, we don't know the ins and outs of it, but he sounded loyal. Great Britain captain, England captain, Yorks captain. He didn't once sound like he was going to end up leaving Wakefield. They were a struggling team as well, so it stands out to me as one of our biggest legends. Just before yeah. we wound down, sorry, go mm -hmm. on. I was just going to say, yeah, they didn't. And looking through the research, he never actually had a an offer. He never got fed up and said, "I'm going." He went on strike early on in his early days. But yeah, Yorkshire, England, Great Britain captain Trinity were in the bottom ten year in year out of a team of thirty. He just stuck by his team and carried on. And then he just fell out with the committee at the end of the money in 1930. Just before we wind down and, and start to start to cut off here, Dad, do, do we know much about his life after after he retired? I've interviewed his, I've tracked down his family and I've interviewed his son and I'm, I'm going to meet another son soon. But uh, we do know after he left the pub trade, he, uh, he got an interest in the fish markets, probably when he was over in Hull and he got a, a passion for fish, basically. And he came back to Wakefield and decided to set up his own company, Jonathan Parkin and Son, which became a well-known company around the city. Now, long before I knew who Jonathan Parkin was and really before I really got into Trinity, I always remember the Jonathan Parkin vans. They were all over town and a fellow up, up the street where my mum and dad live. Still always had a Jonathan Parkin van outside the house. So we always knew it was something. And it was like a frozen fish distributors. And he worked there with his sons. He had a, a big place in the middle of town. I don't know how long the company lasted. Um, this is a sort of a big gap in what I've been researching. But I know he passed away in April 1972 over Many Gates Way. And he was 77 when he passed away. But he was also still active in the Great Britain Lions. He was on the Trinity Committee for a while and he was very active in the Great Britain Lions all-boys uh, teams as well. Excellent stuff. Really, really enjoyed that. So just for anybody listening, just to finally highlight, John T. Parkin, Wakefield Trinity legend um, and one of the biggest legends ever in, in, in Wakefield's history, in my opinion, played for 17 years for our club, 349 appearances and 474 points, 17 Yorkshire appearances, 
17 Great Britain appearances and 12 England appearances. And that is all with missing club games whilst being on representative honours and obviously four to five years of missing games when the Great War was occurring as well. So imagine his records, if, if he didn't miss out on all that, he'd have been pushing probably 500 games. So thank you, everybody, for listening to episode four of the Wakefield Trinitarian Chief podcast and the first in the series of the Trinity Trailblazers highlighting the legendary John T. Parkin. For more updates on the history of Wakefield Trinity, follow us on Facebook under the Wakefield Trinity Heritage and on Twitter at WT Heritage Pod. We have released Gareth Ellis and the Willie Poaching interviews as well, the Gareth, El- Gareth Ellis Best 13. And coming up on episode five on Monday, we can officially reveal that we have an interview with Jason Demetriou, the now head coach at South Sydney Bunnies down under, but obviously Wakefield Trinity legend in himself, more of a modern day. But yes, we have already recorded it. It's coming out Monday evening. That is Jason Demetriou for episode five. Thank you to my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. We will catch you all on Monday night. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Tris Kamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable.